I'm John Barrett Ingalls, and this is The How, The Why, presented by 1888. Every week, we connect with artists, authors, and innovators in the world of publishing and literature to discuss their creative process and creative purpose and explore the evolution of the industry. 1888 serves as a regional catalyst for the preservation, presentation, and promotion of cultural heritage and literary arts. Let's get connected. Hello and welcome to The How, The Why by 1888. My name is John Barrett Ingalls, and today we are connected with Joe Pan, publisher and editor-in-chief of Brooklyn Arts Press. Joe, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Oh, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Uh, so quickly, we started, you started, we, I was not involved, I'm just involved <laughs> right now. You started Brooklyn Arts Press in 2007. Um, and I know that you started with publishing your own poetry. Was that the the concept at first, just to like find another outlet for you to get your work out there, or did you have like this backlog of of talent that you needed to get a, a, a home for or or distribution for? Well, uh, quite honestly, it was a it was a matter of money to an extent. Um, but also, let, let's see, at the time I was sending out the contest, um, the book that I was trying to sell uh, had done fairly well in some of the contests in like uh, the Yale Yoga Poets, and it was a finalist for the Whitman and the National Poetry Series. So I really felt like it had something behind it already. Um, but sending out to these contests, it was like 25 bucks a pop, you know? Sure. So I mean, you go, you ask any poet, I mean, who knows how many thousands of dollars they send, uh, they, they spend, you know, sending out the contest per year. Um, but you know, it's, 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 it's not a small amount. Uh, and at this point there were a lot of people around me, um, who were, you know, working in different fields. I knew a lot of artists, knew some filmmakers and they were each in, in modern dancers specifically, um, because I knew a lot of modern dancers back in the day, uh, that were starting their own companies. And when things weren't, you know, working with whatever, you know, if, if they were trying out for one company and they weren't. Um, getting that job, they'd try out for another company, and maybe they'd pick up something here and there. They started working together um, and forming, forming their own companies and doing really well and going out and performing their stuff. Uh, but it just felt like there was something in the way of, like, literature where you weren't supposed to do that necessarily. Uh, and I felt like that was really bizarre, especially, like, my friends were making their own films. They're going out into the world and doing this thing. Why am I not doing this thing? And I realized, you know, I, I feel like it had some editorial support. I feel like... I, you know, I had gone over the poems many times and said I could do a pretty good job. And I was also hearing from people in the industry, uh, people that were getting their, their poems published with, uh, with, with larger presses, with smaller presses, that really didn't feel like they were getting the kind of backing that they would have liked, you know, like the kind of publicity. And everybody feels this way. You just don't feel like your book is getting enough publicity. But I was like, you know what, I, I feel like I know enough people in various communities that I could give this a go myself and do a pretty good job and maybe better than what's happening with some of my friends. So I did it. And it also allowed me to uh, send books to people uh, who I admired. 
in the community. Uh, other writers, some famous authors uh, that I that I really admired. And instead of having like ten personal copies and then having to pay a lot of money in order to get more copies, I had all the copies, and so I could just mail them out to people. And I got lovely notes from some really big names and some people I really admired. Don DeLillo wrote me back. Just some really, just really just people that were like, I like your book. I like this about it. And I was like, oh my God, this is a thing. I can just actually talk to other writers. There doesn't have sure. to be this kind of, there doesn't have to be this kind of barrier. I can just do this thing, which was kind almost, of a revelation for me yeah, at the time. It legitimized. You have this legitimate thing now. Yeah, no, absolutely. And also, I knew people that were getting very close to contests like myself and I, you know, moving to New York at that time from Iowa, I was able to, you know, meet a lot of different artists and I realized, hey, I, I kind of want to put some more stuff into the world and started, I had a gallery at the time uh, that I was co-running uh, with, with, with several friends and just, you know, became more and more um, familiar with different art forms, people working with different art forms in New York and Brooklyn and then just decided to start publishing like photography and uh, uh, some, some works of like monographs from painters and some poetry and some short fiction, kind of just whatever, whatever I happened to enjoy um, at the time. And then I, of course I opened up to submissions and then it was just, wow, we just got a lot the of flood to kind of choose from. Yeah, no, it was a flood. It was. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, cause the, you do have, so many, it's not like we only focus on poetry or, yeah. you know, this is, this is only for fiction or only for nonfiction. You, you really don't have necessarily set parameters. What, no. At what moment of the, the, the press did you say, did you say, well, I'm going to open it up to everything? Or did you know at the beginning that there was going to, it was going to be an open-ended press? Uh, at the beginning, I mean, quite honestly, it's just part of my life. I, I just knew a lot of different people in different fields. I like to keep active in various art forms. Like, you know, I like writing fiction. I like writing poetry, I like writing screenplays. I like creating different works of art here and then. I like doing photography when I get a chance. You know, all of these things are just part of a kind of like a larger concept of what life is and what goes into it in the creative, you know, they've got a creative process. Like one lives one's life as a creator to some extent, and you just go out and you create things. And sometimes you focus very specifically, and I was never one to necessarily focus. I, I tend to like to do a lot of different things. And I enjoy the works of other people uh, tremendously, and I, I, I wanted to kind of put those things on display too. If it was already part of my life, I wasn't going outside of my life to find these things. You know, they were all somewhat readily available. Did you have a, a concept of even your name is Brooklyn Arts Press. Did you want to keep it more New York centric or, or were you open <laughs> to everything? I mean, it, obviously now you're international bringing in people from all over the world, but was there a, a concept or an idea to keep it as this, like, let's support Brooklyn artists? No, I, the funny thing was um, it was more or less kind of a, a, a marketing uh uh, it was more or less like a marketing perspective that I was taking at that point because I was thinking, uh, what's a good name for a press? I've never started a press before. I've never started my own company before. Uh, so what am I ever doing? I'm moving, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm living in Brooklyn, um, uh, or I'd just been living in Brooklyn and relocated to a different part of Brooklyn, and, but I was also kind of staying in Manhattan. It was a very somewhat tumultuous time in my life when I actually started doing this. Uh, but I was like, well, you know, you know there's 
BAM is right there. Like it has a kind of name for itself. I liked one time I was, I was walking through the subway and the lettering of the subway really ca caught my eye. So the, the, that, that uh, our logo is, you know, those, those three circles, BAP. And it's just, mm -hmm. it just hit me. And I thought I was going to be living in Manhattan. It was a really distinct possibility that was going to happen. In fact, I met my wife trying to find an apartment in Manhattan at this time. So it was very likely that this was going to be MAP like Manhattan Arts Press. It just so happened that I ended up in Williamsburg and it became BAP. Now, you've partnered on a couple of different projects with the Norwegian Theater Academy. Talk about that yeah. relationship. And, and, and really, I'm, I'm fascinated by this, uh, the infinite record. But I mean, talk about how oh, yeah. that relationship started and then talk a little bit about that project of infinite records. It's funny, I, like an hour ago, I came from having um, lunch with uh, the, one of the heads of the, 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 the head of acting or co-head of acting at the Norwegian Theater Academy, Carmen Lara Eli. Um, and how that all came to be is just, honestly, Carmen and I went to high school together along with uh, some other people here in New York that are doing some amazing things, and I just, it's, it's kind of incredible. We came from an extremely poverty-ridden, very violent place in uh, the space coast of Florida, um, and we just happened to get out. Mm -hmm. And she was teaching at NYU and doing dance here in New York for a little while, and then she ended up uh, taking a job while pregnant and kind of just leaving New York and leaving everything behind and taking this job at the Norwegian Theater Academy where she began teaching acting um, and not just acting, but like what they're doing over there is just really incredible. And I've been over several times and they brought over a lot of really talented and amazing um, artists. And they're teaching, they're teaching a different style of acting, which is a kind of all encompassing anywhere you go, you can act, know the space, know the place, know the people, prepare for it, and then just completely submerge yourself and it's just really incredible and to watch Carmen Laura um, teach her students and engage the community because it's also a huge community thing um, to engage the town of Frederickstad to really try to engage the arts in Oslo to try to like broaden it to this kind of international scope um, is just so inspiring to me and we were we were talking one time and she was like listen, you know, we're going to be doing this. Uh, we did, the first book we did with them was uh, Responsive Listening, which was a kind of series of uh, essays on what that school specifically, Norwegian Theater Academy, is trying to do with acting and trying to do with their program, which is incredible. Um, so we, we worked on this, we had worked on this smaller book, but we also had, she had this idea for this really large book, which is Infinite, uh, uh, Infinite Record. And with Infinite Record, it was just a larger project. It was like we worked with MIT, York St. John in the UK, Lucetius Academy of Fine Arts and Design in Kiel, Germany. And it all surrounds, it, 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 it's, it's a book that's the end result of all these symposia surrounding these three artists, Arnold Dreiblatt, Wen Wei, and Louise Hozier. And um, these symposia were, were just kind of incredible. Like we would just show up at a place for like a, a week or a weekend and just have people come in and talk either in some relationship to the artist or about whatever that symposia was about. And this book is the record of that. This is the kind of, this is one part of that archive. 
And a lot of it was about memory. And a lot of it was about performance and about archive. Like, where does an archive live? Where does it die? Does it die? Can it ever die? How does it keep going? And this monster, beautiful, crazy book, which has taken like four years to put together, sure. should be coming out in November. So um, I've been working on that for a very long time, and it's at the very end of it right now. Uh, it was supposed to be out in August, but we had some problems with the um, the binding of the of this this crazy beautiful book. Um, it, it was tearing up some of the pages, so we had to have it reprinted and rebound. So it should be coming out soon. I'm super excited about it. It's beautiful. Well, it, it looks cool, you know. And I I have a theater background myself, so the the concept of you know theater is is a very in the moment thing. You experience it there and then. And then it's it's done, but everything leading up to it, and I'm, I, you know, and this is from my limited understanding of what you're doing here. This everything that goes into creating the performance is is an art in and of itself. Yeah, everything that yeah. leads up to that, you know, all, everything that it, I'm, and then I'm probably you know kind of bastardizing what you're doing here, but that's what I got just from the the brief my brief understanding of it. Well, I'm not doing any. All I'm doing is editing and publishing uh, a lot of these concepts and a lot of the essays. Well, what the book itself, um, but yes, yes, um, in terms of like acting and scenography, um, the way that I understand it, um, this program at the Norwegian Theater Academy is, is, is looking for this like larger, this larger way to approach acting and that mm. each part of it um, is something singular and worth study, and then you bring all of those elements together, and you have something really purposeful, you know, something that you can just kind of walk into and you know your space, and you can work with whatever materials are there. So they have them working with musicians, they have them working with other actors, they have them working with writers, they have them working with people from all walks of life, and just trying to, so, so that they get this kind of larger feel of what's possible, and then bringing that all together in order to do what they do whatever that happens to be later on. What was some of the struggle with this project in particular, but, but with um, a, a lot of the works, especially with poetry, I talked to a lot of uh, poetry press and small press that, that yeah. publish poetry, and sure. they have a struggle of offering this in a form other than print form. And I know that you're, uh, you have ebook and uh, yeah. you offer like a lot of the mono, uh, the monographs as a PDF, but was there a, a challenge in figuring out that digital representation of these works? In the early days, in the early days, it was more of a challenge because when you first started getting e-readers and stuff like this, PDFs didn't open really well on them and they weren't really great. So you're trying to figure out ways to create like EPUBs and MOBIs and all these digital formats that actually like the challenge for like poetry is to keep the line and you have right. all these different breaks. And if you have somebody that really, that really takes the heart that they're working with the entire page and they're, they're spacing things out in many different places on an ebook, it looks terrible. And back in the day, it was just worse. It was flying all over the place, different breaks. And so you really couldn't keep to what the poet envisioned. Um, but now with PDF, it's a lot easier. You can just send out PDF uh, for the most part, but you still, we still have problems with e-readers in terms of EPUB. Like, hmm. I think that's going to persist until such time that we have um, new programs um, and that it, new programs, new readers, you know, we're just, we're just stuck with that. It's going, you can read fiction on it. You can read nonfiction on it, 
Poetry, because it is also a spatial art, is going to be a little bit more difficult. But PDF, if you can, if you have a large enough reader that that you can look at the PDF, then it's fine. Um, that's no, that's that's not really a problem anymore. In terms of like, in terms of moving into different spaces, uh, that is moving into an electronic space with books. I know a lot of, you know, there. I do know a good deal of like small presses that, that, that won't push there right now. Um, although I got to say, like I, I sell, I sell like digital books all the time. Um, right. they, I don't sell as many as, as, as I sell like paperbacks. I just, it's just people love to buy the paperbacks and, and we try to make them look as you know good as possible. You know, we, we, we really love uh, trying to find people to do, uh, trying to find new artists, for the art on the book covers, which is something we really pride ourselves on. Um, but to me, getting those things, like jumping into new territories is what small presses can do the best, right? Yeah. It feels, it feels to me like this is something that on the ground, we have to find ways to sell poetry um, because it's, it's a hard sell uh, for the most part. So I've tried many different ways to sell it. And one of the one, the one that got the biggest, the, the most attention, let's say, was when we started selling, I know what you like Gordon's book, a paperback, pay what you want. And mm -hmm. that got us a lot of press immediately. And every book, every poetry book, I think, but two or two or three afterwards, we sold pay what you want because it was really effective. We found that people that didn't necessarily know a poet would be more willing to pay like a few dollars in order to get the book and experience that poetry and might tell a friend, which has happened, and then they order other books. And it really, like, the pay-what-you-want model took off and has been extremely it's, – it's been great. Um, and not everybody – like, some people will pay 50 cents. Some people will pay $18, you know. Yeah. Some people will just throw $25 away because they just like the press one way or another. Or um, it's really interesting. And we have an author right now, Ana Plan, whose book is about to go is about to hit the SPD bestseller, the Small Press Distribution bestseller list for like the fourth month in a row. Her book is is available for pay what you want on the BAP site. We sell it for sixteen dollars if you want to pay the retail price, and it's still selling at sixteen dollars in lots of places. You know, so it's it. I think giving things away for free. Something I learned from um, from fiction writer friends of mine who started doing the same thing with their books. When you start giving things away for free, people accept them. And right. if, they like what they're, if, if they like what they're reading, they're going to come back. And, and sometimes they, they just pay for the same books they had. Sometimes they pay for the next book from that author. Sometimes they pay for the next BAP book. It just feels that way. I don't know. Like free content is, is, helping, is really fueling at least my poetry sales, at least with BAP. And pay what you want. I, free, but pay what you want is also fueling this. Now, you, you say you get this flood of um, submissions. Yeah. And are you, are you getting um, submissions across the board of art and poetry and photography and fiction, nonfiction, or are you finding that you're, you're receiving mainly poetry? Or, uh, we, we received mostly poetry. Um, last year, we opened up to novels for the first time. So we had this shutdown submissions this year for the first time because we received so many submissions 
last year and the year before. So two years ago, we had 800 submissions, like 850 or something like that, which was, I read 36,000 pages. Um, and that's, that's, that's 36,000 pages. I calculated that, you know, not the entire book. So just what I read, I was trying to calculate, which was an incredible amount of work. I do most of this myself. I, I, I do have readers that are great readers, um, people who I trust, whose opinions I trust, um, to kind of help me narrow down um, the manuscripts that might be best for that. And it was a very long process two years ago when we didn't have novels. Last year, we got a lot of novels. Sure. And trying to, you know, to, to, to try to be fair, um, to try to read through just in case something didn't grab you at first and really, you know, give it another chapter or give it like 15, you know, 15 pages, really try to get into some vault so you can see the talent that's at play and also get a sense of the story. You know, these, it takes time to do. And we didn't finish up until almost a year later. That I didn't want to do anymore. Um, I, w I want to be able to, like, figure out ways not to have that happen. But at the same time, we find some really great authors, right? If you give it the time and you really give it the space, like we're fine. And we're, and we're opening up to more different, we're opening up to different kinds of books. And like, so you just got to, you just got to jump in there and do that. But yeah, it can be, it can be a lot of work, man. It's a full-time job. Absolutely. <laughs> and yet you, you still have time to uh, continue writing and you still yeah. find time. You, you've started uh Brooklyn artist helping. Do you want to talk yeah. a little bit about that as well? Yeah, sure. Um, that, I don't know. I'm in this place now. I mean, I've been doing that for almost a decade next May, right? So next May, that will be 10 years old. And things change in one's life. Uh, I feel like I've done a lot with that and I really love it and I want to continue with it. I'm, I'm not going to do as many books next year um sure. we're doing we're doing two big books we're doing we're doing the brooklyn poets anthology which is huge i'm doing that with jason Koo. um we have some pulitzer prize winners i mean we have we have pulitzer prize winners in the book we have people that have published like several poems in their life right a real like put out the call got a lot of a lot of really great uh, responses um so we're putting these things together and a lot of these are big projects and they take a lot of time so i'm pushing let's say i'm uh I want to be able to focus on those things. And at the same time, during these years, I've written a lot. So I have like two novels of my own, another huge book of poetry that I wrote uh, that I want to kind of get out into the world. And so I want to focus on that. And, and I want to focus on, focus on some other things. And one of the other things I want to focus on is really just uh, doing things within the community uh, that's giving back. And I'm, I've learned this all from my wife. Uh, every Monday she goes to Coalition for the Home, or every other Monday she goes to Coalition of the Homeless, and she goes out and she passes out uh, food to people. Um, and when we met uh, about 10 years ago, uh, almost 11 now, she had this already built into her, this sense of service mm -hmm. and giving back. And um, four years ago I was walking home it was like February and I was walking through Manhattan and it was negative 20 wind chill. And there was a person under a blanket that couldn't have done any, like the blanket did nothing for their warmth. 
just right. nothing. And I'm skittering by just holding my, like, things over my face so it doesn't freeze. You know, I was, I've been in Iowa winters, and those things are brutal. And this was just a terrible night. And this person had nothing. And I just felt this sense of, like, as you do, you feel, like, a sense of, like, this wish for generosity in some way uh, to do something to counteract what you're seeing. Um, but then maybe you just move on because that these things have just, you know, it's, it, it's just part of the world in a way. Sure. Um, yeah. And I try to fight that, and you feel bad for doing it, but you also recognize you can't help everyone. And some part of me was saying, you can't help everyone, but you could help that person. Like, that's someone you can help. And you're choosing not to right now because your own self fine. And I totally understand that. But like, for me, I was just like, like, I, okay, I'm just, I'm, I need to do something. So I contacted, I went online to see how many, how much sleeping bags were and they were fairly expensive. And then I started contacting, um, I wrote this long letter and I started contacting different manufacturers of sleeping bags and got a hold of, uh, these people out in Utah, uh, ledge sports, that agreed to sell me at a huge discount, uh, 50 sleeping bags. You know, they were online for like $80, $80 and they sold them to me at about cost, at about like 18 Jeez. And so we bought that. Uh, I bought that and stacked an entire wall in my house with sleeping bags that September or November. And then started inviting friends out, artists, uh, friends, whomever, to help me deliver them. And we would rent cars, and we would drive around Brooklyn and Manhattan. This is what we do each winter now, and hand out sleeping bags. Um, and then the more people kind of became involved, people started, like, offering stuff, like, here's some socks, or, 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 or people that would come out with us would say, like, I'm going to bring socks, or I'm going to bring toiletries, and hand those out along with the sleeping bags. Um, which is great. And people try to offer me money and say like, Oh, and go do this thing. And I would always say like, no, come and do it with me. And it's part, there's something about being present and realizing this is your community, that the community right. there's, you know, that life is made of many different small communities. This is the case, but there is a kind of larger, you live within the larger context and to hand a person who is, who is under a blanket that really needs a sleeping bag in the rain that's been out there all night and it's two o'clock in the morning and they're freezing to hand somebody that to help them get inside to say, Hey, how are you doing? To have that conversation is different. It's just a different thing. It's not throwing money at a problem. It's, it's, it's offering service to somebody who's there and you're not going to be able to do that with everybody. And there's many other ways that you can help people in the world and you should do those things as much as you can. But this is a very specific way that you can help a person right now. And that does affect that person's life. And when I was able to kind of do that and realize that, I realized that I wanted to do that more in my life. So, you know, these are all just about life choices. FAP was about a life choice. It, it, it is more or less started because I wanted to get my work out there and then realized that I could help other people get their work out there and that I could right. do a good job, I think, doing it. Even if I fucked up many times trying and screwed things up at times, in the beginning, just like I felt that it was something that I could do. Um, if I just paid attention. And so I went and did this thing. And like my own writing, like I sit down, I'm alone with it and the characters and whatever. And it's something that I can do. And this is something that I want to put out into the world too. And then there's another part of the world that I want to be a part of where I'm helping, where all the good fortune that I've had in my life, I can do something with. 
right? I, I have these things. I can help in some way. So I want that's – a, that's a part of my life, and that's going to, moving forward, grow into a larger part of my life. And so right now I'm the cutting back a little bit on BAP and pushing forward a little bit with my writing and pushing forward a bit with my service. Um, you know, it's just, it's just a different part of my life now. I'm just changing a little bit of direction, but I still want to keep BAP going strong. I, I want to build Brooklyn Artists Helping to be a larger thing, still hands-on, um, and, you know, work on my stuff. That's kind of where I'm at. That's amazing. Sounds I, like fun, I, right? That, no, it's great. And it's like, it's like <laughs> such a perfect place for, for us, us to end. I mean, it's like I just want to – it's like the perfect bow on this little story of Joe. Um, <laughs> that was but, a half an hour already. I talk too much, man. You really no, got to put me down. It is great. Believe me, this is this is wonderful. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Hey, brother, I mean, we thanks could, for having me on. I appreciate it. We could always talk more, but like I just I feel like that was such. It was almost as if you perfectly, you perfectly capped this is, it right this there. This is all this is all pre-recorded. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Pre. Yeah. We, we wrote it out together. It was, it was wonderful. <laughs> um, thank you again. Hey, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. This has been The How, The Why with John Barrett Ingalls. The show is produced by Kevin Stanick and yours truly with production assistance by Sarah Becker. The How, The Why theme music was composed and performed by Dan Record. Please consider supporting 1888 and our mission. Become an 1888 advocate by purchasing our books, participating in our programs, and pledging today. For more information, visit 1888.center. That's 1888.center. I want to remind you all to keep making art. Thank you. <laughs>